Hello and welcome to Secondhand Film Critics, your favorite source for mildly pretentious, semi-uneducated, and highly unqualified opinions on movies. I am Noah, and today I am joined by my co-host, Kayla. And this is our second of three end of summer episodes because we just can't seem to let go. Um, <laughs> the endless summer. That's that yeah. would be. Wasn't that, that was a movie. Um, that's yeah. a movie. That's the a surfer, surfer movie. Surfer yeah. movie. That would be my worst nightmare. A summer that never ends. Yeah, like you're right on the verge of fall and it never comes. That would be my mm. like hellscape. Today we're recording this on Labor Day, though, so this is really like the end of summer, and it's officially fall after today, in my opinion. I mean, it was fall for me like two weeks ago, but I called it officially fall September 1st. That's when I was like, okay. all right, it's fall. We hit the burr months, <laughs> and it's time. Um, it's actually a little mm. overcast today, so today yeah, might be the first day. Here. It feels like fall a little bit though i'm sure it's very humid still mm. it'll be a few weeks till we get even like low 70s yeah it's been like 60 70s here it's been pretty it's been it was like all of a sudden just turned fall so i'm in the fall mood but we need to finish what we started here mm. and finish this summer series the summer yes, of we west do. where we go through his filmography. Technically, we, we've already done it. We've already gone through his filmography, and this is just the last episode where we talk about the rest of the movies. Before we go into this episode, which is covering his last two movies, let's do the answers, though, to the question of the week last week, hmm. which, if you don't know, at the end of every episode, we ask a question that kind of relates to what we talked about. So last week, we did an episode on how to eat fried worms, and we asked you all what book, not what book, what movie <laughs> did you rent from the library multiple times? So like, what was your go-to library movie rental? Mm. We got a lot of fun, varied answers. If you want to skip this, you can go to the timestamp in the description, but I will start here with, let's start with Danny's. He said... Spy Kids 2, The Island of Lost Dreams. Wow. Which, that's a great one. A true library classic, I think. I just added that VHS to my collection. Wow, I had that one when I was a kid. Is it like the big, is it the big one, like like with the puffy case? Um, No, yeah, no, it's a clamshell, but it has like a black, it's a black clamshell. Right, it was black, yes. Wow. Yeah, because I had that one, and then I had, I had, I think, all three on VHS. Yeah, I don't wow. have the other two. Um, this one is the best one, though. Number yeah, two. so I'm I'm very pleased with the find. Yeah, I just rewatched that. It's great. Let's see, what else do we have here? Laura said, Thomas the Tank Engine and Magic School Bus. Thomas the Tank Engine just was back in the, in the culture. Well, I guess not, because the movie wasn't very popular, but it was a big theme in bullet train so there's the last thomas the Tank engine i heard of was in that movie um i never really watched much of it though i will say did you watch magic school bus yes i of course i did that one okay. i watched so many times especially yeah. the one when he got sick and they go like he gets he stays home from school and they take the bus inside him and like see what's making him sick that one was really cool um, let's see. Kristen uh said 
Robin Hood and Thumbelina. Now, is this two separate movies or is there a Robin Hood and Thumbelina crossover? I think it's two separate movies. Okay. (laughs) Because, you know, they have like the Batman and Scooby-Doo movies like those. Do you remember those? I don't know Uh if that was a crossover, but they always had like the stupid ones like that. It was a cross. Yeah, I've seen those. I'm pretty sure that was real. I think I've definitely seen Robin Hood. I think I've seen Thumbelina, but you know. I've seen Thumbelina, but it's been a long time. Yeah, but you know, the Disney's are always a good a yeah. good standby, which we see here with Zach Smith's answer of Disney's Peter Pan. Also a good choice. I don't know if I this is hard because I don't know if I rented those as much because we either owned them or like my grandma owned them and then we watched them there. So I don't think I rented like the Disney movies as many times, but I if you don't own them, then like it's like that's a definite easy pick. Yeah, sure. This is funny because a lot of these are movies that I loved. So mm. I'm just living. Yeah, I think here. we all we all just had the same childhood, especially with that. Yeah, this one, um, Jamie Kirsten Howard's and Matilda, which mm. is just a great library movie in general. Oh my gosh. Because yeah. there's a library in the movie and a library plays a big role. You know, it starts your love of reading which then triggers the whole story in motion. Wow. I love Matilda. What a great movie. I'm glad we did that episode on that. Maybe we should just do another one. We could pretend that we haven't (laughs) done, we never did the episode. Talk about Matilda again. As a childhood classic, again. That would be be like, All right, guys. Matilda, we never did this this one before. Um, Asia Grace said The Perfect Game, which is a banger. That is, have you seen that one? I was looking at this yesterday. I've seen so many baseball movies that I think I have. This was actually, for me, less of a library movie and more of a Netflix movie. Because I feel like an early Netflix This was on early Netflix streaming. Yeah, this was like a, this was like a staple of early Netflix. This one was on there a lot. Monsters, Inc. was on like the first early Netflix for a while. Um, there was just a few that like they were there a while. So that's just what I think. You of know what? I, I remember watching on Netflix. What? All four seasons of Hannah Montana, and then wow. Jonas L.A. Wow, um, Netflix was just like there was so many things on Netflix back then because there was no restrictions and no other companies were had anything. So just like everything was there. But yes, I love the perfect game. I love baseball movies. Is it the perfect movie? Sure. I mean, it's been a while <laughs> since I've seen it, but I remember really liking it as a kid. I feel like baseball movies, Netflix just had a lot of baseball movies they used to, I feel like. Wow, Tony of Revelory's in it. He is? Yeah. He's in, a movie, he's in one of these movies we're talking about today. I'm looking at the cast and he is wow. in it, apparently. Maybe we should cover it in a childhood classic because you definitely have seen it. And I think I, if I haven't seen it, I like definitely knew what it was. You know. I think we should do a childhood classics of just baseball movies. A summer of baseball movies. I have quite a few that I could I could talk about. Yeah, that sounds great. There's so many baseball movies. There's not a I feel like we haven't had one in a while though. Yeah, where is the new baseball movie? Where are the baseball movies? I could see them doing a new Sandlot. Like that feels like the most like plausible is them mm. remaking the Sandlot, which would be stupid. But I feel like we already have Stranger Things, which is like basically the same thing, but without baseball. And a uh, Demogorgon, but... It's the same rela- dynamics, character dynamics. Yeah, I want like a baseball like set in the major leagues. 
Even if it's like the rookie of the year, which is like oh, when he goes to the major league. Great leagues. movie. That is a good movie, That's too. That's such a Man. good movie. See, we have a lot of baseball movies we could pull from. Do you remember the one where it's like King Arthur and the base, like... Kid in King Arthur's it, Court? The, yeah, it's like there's a baseball, but there's also King Arthur involved. That was also a library movie. Um, One of mine was uh, Everyone's Hero, Everybody's Hero. Yes, with the with the kid and the talking baseball. And the talking baseball. The one made and by Christopher bat. Reeves. Uh huh. Yeah, I love that. That one, one was too. great with William H Macy as uh-huh. yep. baseball. I would definitely do an episode on that one. I watched that one a lot. Me too. That was like a big a big rewatch. I loved that movie. The animation was not good though, which was just funny. No, that, like, but it was still a great movie. We should do definite. We could definitely fill the whole episode on baseball movies easily. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, thank you all for writing in. We talked a lot more about baseball movies than we did about any of the <laughs> other movies that people mentioned, but that's sometimes how it goes. But let's go into this final Summer of West episode we have here. So again, we've been going through his filmography. So in May, we talked about Bottle Rocket and Rushmore. In June, we talked about Tenenbaums, Life Aquatic, and Darjeeling Limited. And then uh july am i wrong i keep doing this because it was it's we started in june so i'm wrong june was bottle rocket and then go go and then august fantastic mr fox moonrise and grand budapest because this is september i forgot that we Mm. moved it yeah because last year we started earlier with star wars we did but we had less episodes to do this year so we started later we did okay so scratch what kind of the the months but basically you get the idea this is isle of dogs and friends dispatch we'll be talking about today yeah let's just get into it i think we can just jump right into isle of dogs which this is going to be fun because these are the first two that we have actually watched in theaters wow uh so that shows you something about about us maybe do you want to read the summary here for Isle of Dogs mm-hmm. before we get into the movie? So I feel like a lot of people might forget what this one is about. Did too, you read this? this? Definitely... I mean, write this. Yes, for school a long time ago. So let's see. Let's see how it is. <laughs> okay. In the not so distant future, the city of Megasaki is overtaken by an outbreak of canine influenza, which is said can also be spread to humans. Because of this, all dogs are banished to Trash Island by Mayor Kenji Kobayashi, including Kobayashi's nephew's dog, Spots. Six months later, Atari, Spots' owner, hijacks a plane and flies to Trash Island in hopes of rescuing his best friend. Upon arrival, he meets a pack of dogs living on the island who agree to help Atari look for his lost dog. However, their journey won't be easy forcing encounters with oracles, cannibalistic dogs, and even Mayor Kobayashi himself. That was pretty good. I think this is a good summary that will kind of get people, if they haven't seen the movie, you know, give them an idea of it. It's like a boy and his dog kind of movie, but it's also an adventure movie and a bit of a futuristic movie. I don't know. There's a lot of like different styles and genres that they try to pack in here. So personal anecdotes again we both have seen both of these in the theater this is the first one of his movies i saw in the theater which was fun i guess i think i went with some friends and i remember when i watched it i i feel similar like in i guess what i would rate it out of 10 or 5 stars and like how i feel about the movie as i did then but i definitely was 
not as clear on the story and everything the first time around, Mm. which I think with this one, especially it's like, there's a lot of exposition dump in the beginning. And so like, if you don't, I think this is with French dispatch too. Like if you don't pick up on everything that's in the exposition dump, then like the whole, the whole story won't make as much sense. Cause like you aren't, you don't have the groundwork. So I feel like there's like that thing in the beginning where like they explain the history and everything. And I think that, I didn't like fully grasp all of that until like the second time I watched it. As I've watched it more though, I've definitely understood it more. But after I watched it, it was definitely, I definitely didn't like it as much as I wanted to. And I think that's actually probably still true when I watch it today. I've seen it like four or five times at this point, And I had a good grasp on what I would think about the movie when I first saw it. Yeah, I feel pretty similarly. I saw it in the theater when I was in college, I think twice, like I went and saw it once and then I saw it again. Um, I think what's so interesting about this one is the story is a little bit more complex than some of his other films. And so I think with his other films that we've talked about, it's easy enough to take it all in at the same time. Mm. But I think his visual elements in this one and the craft of how all of it is animated, like, is so overwhelming that it's Mm -hmm. really hard to take in everything. Like, you have Mm -hmm. to pick and choose. So I remember for me, I was like, okay, I'm watching this for the story, but I don't have the time to focus on all these other like cool visual elements because I'm like trying to track with the story. So I think the second Mm -hmm. time I watched it in the theater, I did like it a little bit more then because I was able to like soak in the visual elements of it more like because I was familiar with the story and what was going on. But I do feel like this one, there's a lot going on, like both visually and um, with the story. I think there are parts of this story that I really like and like aspects of the movie that I really like, but then there's like, which we can talk about it, there's other parts of the story that I'm like, hmm, I'm really not a fan of this, like we could have just cut all this. And I think for me, this definitely isn't my favorite, like it's a middling movie for me, mm-hmm. um, but there are things that I like about it. Yeah, I think it's definitely one of his most plot heavy movies as his career goes i think we've seen his movies have gotten less less vibes and more plot which isn't like a bad thing but like with royal tenenbaums it's like it sets up the basic premise and then you kind of just can watch like the relationships play out from there yeah but with this one it's like just a lot of moving parts and then they do flashbacks flash forwards they go to different characters randomly like okay we see what's happening on the island now let's see what's happening with the mayor now let's see what's happening with the student uprising like there's just a lot of plot elements in motion which again we see i think as we go further in his career like moonrise kingdom has more plot i think than his other ones then grand budapest has more plot and then so like as his movies have gone on he's definitely gotten more plot heavy which isn't like a bad thing it's just like like you said i think it takes a couple watches to get everything because even like the little details which at first were just like fun background details now it's like even the little details i think are important to the story where it's like if you don't pick up on this one like joke or line then the rest of the story won't make sense or like won't make as much sense 
Yeah, I think one thing that I noticed when watching this one, and I think this shift kind of happened with, I would say, maybe Grand Budapest, is this movie specifically, and French Dispatch, feels so, like, meticulously crafted. Like, it almost feels overcrafted. Like, it feels too perfect, mm-hmm. the way it's all constructed. Like, I like a great movie, but I also don't want, like, I don't want to watch it and be thinking about how perfectly crafted it is. Like, I want to watch it and just kind of absorb the material and be like, wow, that's really cool without having to be like, oh, and this shot looks exactly like this and it's set up exactly like this. Like, I just feel like this one specifically is very overwhelming with like... And yeah. I don't know if that's because it's stop motion, like animation, so it's it you can kind of do that a little bit more. Because I think French Dispatch does it, but I don't think it's as overwhelming as this yeah. one. I would agree. I think this one has more is more overwhelming in the meticulous thing. I think it has something to do with the stop motion, just because even like compared to Fantastic Mr. Fox, there's the sets are just so much bigger in this and there's even more detail and everything, which is like obviously not a bad thing. Like it obviously is like really impressive how what they were able to do. I think in some ways it's hard because they do try to do some in both this and Mr. Fox. I think they do a good job of making the stop motion look like a movie where some stop motion I feel like looks like animation. So I do think they do a good job, but there are still aspects where it's like, it's hard when almost everything in the frame is in focus. So like on Trash Island, there's like so much in the background and there's so much in the foreground and everything is just all focused because it's like a picture, like they're just focusing everything. Mm-hmm. And so like, I think that makes it overwhelming too, where it's like, there's just so many things on screen that are happening that it can feel a little bit like, whoa, I just am getting taken out a little bit of the narrative because there's so much visual stimulus right now. Um, And also, like, I know that the challenge might have been to, like, make the trash look aesthetic, you know? Like, it's Trash Island, but I'm still going to try to make it look cool. But I do think it's, like, it is a little boring to look at sometimes, like, just visually. Like, there's a lot of gray, which can be cool, but I think there is, like, sometimes that can be overwhelming, too, where, like, the color palette is just, like, so gray and red. I like it a lot better when they're in the city because I think that looks a lot more dynamic in the color palette and everything. So there's just some things visually where I get, like you said, I think it is a little overwhelming and too crafted that takes you out of the story sometimes. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's oversaturated with stuff like Mm. I just feel like every shot, like you said, like everything is in focus. And then when you have these big sets that have so much stuff in them, it just feels oversaturated with stuff in it when, like, I do think the sets are cool, but I don't need, like, sometimes I just need to see the characters. And I think, like, Fox has some of that, Um, but I do feel like there's also, like, a simplicity to Fox that, like, feels a little more organic than Mm -hmm. this does 
Like, I think that's my main issue with this with this movie is it doesn't feel organic. Like, it doesn't feel like I'm being sucked into the story. It feels like I'm watching a story that was made by someone. Yeah, and even the, the story itself feels very mechanical, too. Like we were saying, there's so many plot elements that they're trying. There is like an element of the story where it's like, what's um, this is really bad. I what is the main character's name? The dog. What's the main dog's name? Um, Chief. Chief. Yes, his story is obviously like the emotional element, you know, and they're trying to incorporate that. But even that, I feel like because everything else is so mechanical, that feels a lot less emotionally potent. I think sometimes, and it just feels like, oh. Now he's acting nicer or he's like more compassionate because that's what needs to happen in the story because, yeah. you know, he needs to grow. And I I think it makes it really hard to get invested in the story, the mechanics of it. And even the way that the dialogue is written, I think, is even more dry and like straightforward than some of his other dialogue where like it all just feels so cut and dry. And there's not a lot of nuance or emotion, it feels like, in it. So I think, like, when I watch it, I do like watching certain scenes or admiring certain aspects. But it's definitely makes it it makes it really hard for me to, like, get invested in the story because it just feels like so many things are taking me out of the story, I guess. Yeah, I definitely agree. But like, like I said, there are, like, impressive stuff. Like, I remember when that sushi scene was going around Twitter. And like how people are talking about that took eight months to shoot that like that is a great scene. And I think that's like one of the better scenes, actually, like when they're making the sushi. So there's like stuff like that where it's like, wow, this is like really good. And there's certain scenes that I really do like. So it's definitely it's like not a movie that I dislike, but it's it's like right after Darjeeling Limited, like at number nine, I would say where I where I rank all his films. It's definitely in the bottom tier for me. Yeah, I think like. There are a lot of things that I do like about it, but I think coming from him overall as a whole, Mm -hmm. it's not like it hits in that, like you said, bottom tier. I think I have it at seven, but really like seven through nine, apart from Bottle Rocket, like my seven through nine, they all are the same to me. So those feel pretty interchangeable. Um, Because I think those are all like three stars for me. Um, But everything else, I I just feel like in comparison to his filmography as a Mm -hmm. whole, it's not as good. Like when it first came out, like I think I liked it more. And I think that was because I hadn't like recently watched his other movies. You're just kind of like, oh, a new Wes Anderson, like this is really cool. But I think after having watched all of his movies, like, back to back, and then watching this, like, you can see that it kind of doesn't fit in as much, or it's not as good as the other movies. Yeah, I think, um, especially when now we see French Dispatch, and even, like, the movies he's working on now, it's one of, like, his weirdest movies, I think, in his filmography, because... Maybe it will make more sense in like 10 years after we can see more movies that he's made. But I feel like French Dispatch is a much more clear next movie for him to do after Grand Budapest. Like this is definitely a very odd film for him to make after Grand Budapest. And it feels like a weird like 
a weird shift, I guess, which maybe was purposeful because Grand Budapest was such a big movie and even like at the Oscars was a very big movie. So maybe he just really wanted to do something different or stretches skills in a different way because obviously this is he did stop motion but this is like an even crazier stop motion attempt than mr fox was like this is obviously a lot bigger of a production so it's hard for me to like even contextualize this right now with the rest of his movies yeah i think the difference for me in this movie in the screenplay compared to the other movies is that all of his other movies are character-driven, and this one is a plot-driven film. So you're not focusing... Like, a lot of the other ones, you focus on, like, the introspective aspects of the character. Like, it's more about how the character is growing, the hero's journey, like, stuff like that. But in this one, it there's a lot of different characters and different elements, and it's more about, I feel like, saying something about a subject or topic rather than saying something about a person. So, like, Mm -hmm. this one feels a little more political. It feels like maybe there's some other elements going into the writing to, like, speak on certain topics. And I feel like that's just such a different course than all of his other movies. And I think that it Mm -hmm. does have some of the same, like, heart elements, like, in emotional beats, like you said, the storyline with Chief... I think the stuff with Atari when he first thinks Spots is dead is good. And then, like, the stuff with the scientists, like, I, I like their plot line. Um, but I I think that overall, this just doesn't, like, it doesn't feel like the heart of how he writes his films in that way to me. Like, it just feels mm-hmm. so different. And I think Dispatch is similar like i think that is also a little more plot driven i do think it brings it back to the character a little bit more i'm just like very curious what is going on with west like in his mind like politically and socially and stuff like that because like i feel like both of these movies talk about different things like in this Mm -hmm. one and that and french dispatch you have like a student uprising and like kids who are trying to change the world that they're in and like you have these different things that i think it seems like he's thinking about or trying to translate into his material which i think i think french dispatch does it better than isle of dogs does well i think french dispatch has more to say with the three stories i think there's different aspects to each story so like I don't know. It just feels like there he had more to say with French Dispatch rather than this one just feels like just talking about fascism, I guess, which is, is a very similar to what Grand Budapest was doing, where like he basically was saying the same thing in that movie, too. But so, more I subtly, know. I think, and more through the yeah, characters definitely. rather than the plot, which is just interesting yeah, to true. see how his style has changed and kind of it'll be very i'm very curious to see his next movies yes and if i agree they'll, especially because they seem less political like inherently they seem more lighthearted. so it'll be really yes. interesting and i don't know if like maybe i mean i think this could be said about anyone who's making art in this time is that like the stuff around you that's happening socially culturally the different movements and stuff like that they'll affect the way that you're creating. And Mm -hmm. I feel like in the landscape of the last 
2015 to now, it makes mm. sense that these elements are in his work. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how like the current climate affects his work, if he's mm-hmm. still going to be like inserting these things into his work, if he'll go back to character driven. I don't know. But I do think that these two movies are very similar, but I, I don't think Isle of Dogs does it as well, which like yeah. maybe he just wasn't ready and like was still working out how to do this type of film. And so mm-hmm. that's why the screenplay comes across a certain way. I don't know. Yeah, very. it comes across very rigid, I think. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think speaking of politics, we can talk a little bit about like the controversy of this movie because I think, I mean, we kind of you have to. Yeah, I would say I'm looking at his other movies. It's definitely the like, I don't think there's really any other controversies with any of his other movies. So it's not really a very big thing to say this is his most controversial movie. But it's like really the only one that has had any like actual like discourse controversy around it. Also, because like Twitter wasn't as much of a thing in like 2008. So there wasn't a lot of fantastic (laughs) Mr. Fox discourse that could have been going on or 2009. Um, But yeah, I remember it's interesting, too, because like, again, we were more online when this came out. So I remember it pretty clearly, too, with all of the articles and stuff that were coming out. I do think it's gotten like it seems more I've tried to read all the articles and everything. It seems more that the people that were writing the articles were just bringing up an issue they had with the movie rather than shooting down the entire premise of the movie entirely sure and then with and then other people taking those articles and using them as like ammunition for saying the movie is completely like invalid which i think is not true like and i don't think that's what the writers of the articles were saying either i think they were just bringing up like decent points of like just some cultural appropriation issues with the film but it's different from saying that the entire film is worthless or like problematic you know and i think that's like with online discourse that's how it can turn into it's very hard to have nuanced conversations online it can it will turn very quickly into just like this is the worst movie ever and this is why if you like it it's all you're terrible and that's funny because like i don't even like it that much so it's like i don't really (laughs) care but i do i don't think it's like i don't know it's just interesting how overblown it got very quickly i feel yeah I mean, and I do think that as I was watching it this weekend, I do think there are some elements of it that I was like, hmm, I don't know about this. Like, I don't know that that was the right call for him to be making. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think that it does say some good things. Um, But like you said, I think once things get going on like film Twitter and once the discourse <laughs> starts, and now that like TikTok is involved too, there's just. I mean, imagine if TikTok was popular when this movie came out. <laughs> that would have been really. It'll rough. be the licorice pizza all over again. The um, li- licorice pizza of stop motion TikTok. Yeah, I think that like it's it, it's hard because I, I think in perspective of all of his filmography, mm-hmm. like. I think he he does try to say good things and he tries to like speak on people in a good way. Um mm-hmm. but I also think that sometimes like when you're white and privileged like maybe you're not having the right perspective about things and so to make a movie about certain things and include certain cultures I think can be not the right thing to do. 
mm-hmm. whether or not you are like yeah. a good person or trying to say the right thing. Like maybe that's not, it's not your story to tell. Not maybe, but it's not your story to tell in that case. I think it's interesting because, well, like you said, I think there were definitely, I mean, obviously this is all like speculation, but I've tried to read a lot of things about it. And I feel like there were definitely like good intentions. He, I, he did try to do a lot of like the translation stuff accurately, like the third, the fourth screenwriter that's credited, they hired, um, and he did like all the translations for for like everything, and he got and he hired like all of the Japanese voice actors for all the characters, um, and then they hired someone to do that all the drumming, the taiko drumming, I think it's called, and yeah. like got someone ac- that was accurate for that. So I do think like there were things that he definitely went about in the right way in that way. I think it's it's interesting because this is not anything different than he's done in his entire career, which is like yeah. just take elements of other cultures and make like a fake world around them. But it's just, I don't know if he considered like the difference in the fact that it's not like Europe anymore and it's a less white and Eurocentric culture, you know? So I think that might've been something that just wasn't considered where- it feels maybe like, oh, we're just doing the same thing we were, we've always done. You know, they did this in Grand Budapest, arguably even more yeah. because like they created like an, an act, like basically a new country and everything in that movie. Um, but it, it's, it's going to be received differently because of like the culture that you're taking from. And yeah. also like it's inspired by, I think more than Japanese culture, it's inspired by Japanese cinema. And so Japanese cinema is already going to be like already it's uh, the Japanese cinema that they were taking from was already partially inspired by American cinema. And so it's already like a not fully realistic version of Japan. And so if you're only consulting that, then it's going to be even more inaccurate. So it's just interesting. I think the blind both like the things that they thought of to do but also the blind spots that they had while going about this. Yeah, because I think one of the main issues that peop- that I've seen more recently um, is like having the white savior character in the girl, the exchange student, who like becomes the leader of the student uprising, basically. Um, that's a comment that I was reading a little bit about as I was mm-hmm. um, after. And yeah, like stuff like that. I also think that that whole plot line just, like, doesn't work. Like, I think that's the most boring plot line in the whole movie. Um, So take that as you will. But I I do think, like you said, there's some blind spots in it. Um, I think maybe he could have done more. Like, you can always do more. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think he could have done maybe some more, like, consultation or maybe not set the movie in Japan and do something different. Um, Because I think you could have the same concept and same idea in a different setting. Yeah, I think he could have done it probably if he had gone about some things a little differently. I think it could have been fine. Like, again, I think a lot of the articles were just bringing up specific issues that they had with the way he went about the movie. They weren't just saying that the entire premise of the movie was bad. I think they were just there's just so I think if maybe they had just gone about a couple things in a different way. The discourse would have been we wouldn't even be talking about it right now. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think it's another thing with the dis- with Twitter. It's like you it can feel like a lot bigger of a deal when you look back on it, too, or like the way that people talk about it now. Um, and I think, though, with French Dispatch, he had he did wish we can then go to a break and then talk about 
there's like a few things that I feel like are a little bit of a response um, or things that are better in that movie yeah. that maybe he didn't do in this movie. So let's do a quick break and then we'll talk about his most recent movie, which is The French Dispatch. We are transporting back to last year to talk Ooh. about the French Dispatch. This Amazing. is the f- only movie that we reviewed, kind of, because we did it in our October movie thing. And so we reviewed this technically a little yes, bit. Yes, uh, we did. Um, I don't even remember what all we said. So if I am. I kind of remember. I vaguely remember. But also, that was only a one watch. And we've seen it m- more than once at this point. Yeah. So if I rehash anything I said there and you listen to it. And you're like, I can't believe I wasted my time listening to this last episode. <laughs> I already knew all these thoughts. Oh. Uh, let me quick read the summary and then we'll get into this final film. The French Dispatch is a New Yorker-style newspaper operating, not operating out of Kansas, it's operating out of Ennui, France, I guess. It's a fake town, but it's on, it, it's France. Their offerings range all the way from political stories to food reviews to travel columns. When the newspaper's editor, Arthur Horowitz Jr., dies suddenly, the staff put together one final issue of the newspaper featuring four previously published stories before putting the newspaper to rest for good. Uh, It's a little bit of a weird setup for the story. Uh, It reminds me more of Grand Budapest with like the story within a story kind of thing, which we'll talk about later too with one of the movies he's working on now. But I, like I said, I think it's a more, it feels more connected to Grand Budapest than Isle of Dogs does. So like after this movie has come out, it feels more like Isle of Dogs as just like, an island mm, unto itself. And then this one is more connected. I don't know. Um, yeah, this one we both saw in theaters again. It was, I remember waiting for it because it was supposed to come out in 2020 and then something happened in 2020. Oh. I don't know, but it just got, they just decided to push it back for some reason. And then it came out 2021, <laughs> pretty late October, which yeah. was cr- like, I feel like some people were saying they should have just put it on. Disney Plus, which was never going to happen. Like, no, I, I there's don't know who no they, way. <laughs> I don't know what they thought that this movie, like, who they thought he, Wes Anderson, if they just thought, like, he changed, like, person, like, maybe Mission Impossible style, put on a mask and, like, with someone else. But there's no way that he was going to put this on Disney Plus. <laughs> and I'm glad he didn't because I think it was good. I liked seeing it in a theater. Yeah. I know you had a good theater experience too, I remember. Yeah. I, it wasn't as wide of a release. Um, I remember, and so I wasn't sure if my theater would even get it, um, like my local AMC, uh, and then I went to LA to hang out with my brother and and Kristen, and we went and saw it in the theater there in LA, mm. and it was like a packed screening. Um, That's great. Mine was not, so... That Which sounds, was that kind awesome. of exciting because it felt like a true theater experience. Like it felt mm. like everyone was vibing. And I felt so much better about seeing it in Los Angeles than about seeing it here because everyone there like was still wearing masks and everyone that works in the entertainment industry had to be vaccinated. So, you know, everyone around you is vaccinated. And so it just like 
I felt more at ease seeing it uh, there, which is just kind of funny because that was yeah. something that like I even still worry about. And so that adds an extra pressure when I'm seeing a movie. But I felt like I could just relax and watch it and enjoy it and take it in. And people were laughing and it was fun. Um, well, and we'd been waiting for so long. Like it felt like oh my we'd gosh. been waiting for this movie for, I mean, we were for over a year. I mean, but even longer than that, because, like, we knew about it, and we were seeing the, like, set Ugh. pictures on Twitter. The stills. Um, and yeah. obviously, like, some new people were cast in it that, like, hadn't, mm-hmm. that we love that hadn't been uh, in other movies. I'm specifically yep. referencing uh, our good boy, Timmy. And it's all the same people that you love and know, and... Yeah, it was just like if it was fun because it it I mean obviously there have been movies that have been coming out for a while since before this movie since I think March, but it was a little bit like when I watched it I don't know like a Tom Cruise great to be back of the movies moment because ah. <laughs> it was just like there was all your favorite friends were there and it was but it, this is like I think definitely his biggest ensemble to date which I guess apparently is gonna then be changed after his next movie comes out but even more so than like grand budapest it which i think was his last biggest ensemble like this one because of the nature of having like the three stories like there's just so many different characters coming all the time and so it's just like oh right i forgot they're in it and oh they're in it too and they're in the back of a scene here and it's just like yeah it's it's very fun it kind of felt it's like i feel like wes anderson movies are now like the are the film twitter snl where it's like all oh, right all my favorite actors in a movie together yes well and it's funny because fun. like i think it gives a lot of those people the opportunity to make an appearance even if they don't have like the time in their schedule for the full movie because right. that like owen wilson isn't in his movies as much anymore mm-hmm. but like obviously he's a big staple of wes anderson's career and yeah. filmography and, like, it's cool that he was able to, like, be in this for a brief amount of time. And you're like, wow, well, and Owen Wilson. I feel like this is actually his most significant role for in a while, too. Yeah, yeah. That was actually, I think, my favorite. Even though there's, like, so many newcomers in this one. Like, Jeffrey Wright, I think, is definitely, like, yeah. really good in this movie. Like, he, like, I think he always has, like, one big newcomer in each movie that's like, oh, wow, this is a great addition. Um, but it was this that was one of my favorite moments seeing Owen Wilson like have his own segment and yeah. just like have that much time on I screen back segment. in a Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> it was great. Uh, and I think, like you said, that with the anthology, it even gives them more chance to get like little cameos in there. Well, yeah, like I mean, Tony is in this and he's in it for like maybe a, t- a not even a minute of screen time. Yeah. But I think but it's, it's a just, great. But he's uh, a great minute. Yeah. I said this before. I think when we did the October episode. Uh, but I just think it proves that people love to work with him. So like clearly something about his directing and mm-hmm. he. I'm assuming that he must be a very nice director because I've never heard anything about him being mean. Yeah. Well, I mean, watching. Did you watch the HBO making of thing I did. too? Because I did. They all looked very excited. And like, it just, it just looked so fun. I feel like it is refreshing. That is very refreshing because a lot of Hollywood drama these days <laughs> uh, mm. 
is mm. like, oh, this person has beef with this director and this director was mean and this actor was terrible on set and like all these things. But I feel like Wes Anderson sets just seem like such a vibe. Mm-hmm. And they're always like, oh, we ate dinner at this hole in the wall like place all every single night. And like every night and it was in so the hotel. fun. And we all hung out to get like it just feels like a good time all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And it also produces great art. And I think it's clear yeah. that like all these people return for his movies, even in a small capacity, that, like, Mm -hmm. they like to work on these movies. And I think that is something that's very cool because we don't get a ton of, like, ensemble movies like this anymore. So I Mm -hmm. can appreciate uh, that he's clearly a good person so that, like, all these people can keep being in the movies because I love all these people. Yeah, one thing I just thought of, Fantastic Mr. Fox, I think, is different. Well, because Fantastic Mr. Fox was... As we talked about, the dialogue was recorded like on location, quote unquote, or like outside and they were like doing things. So the dialogue was recorded a lot differently where Isle of Dogs, I think it was mostly just recorded like in studio, like a regular stop motion movie. Yeah. So I think maybe that's one thing where Isle of Dogs feels a little off putting in maybe like the emotional aspect is it doesn't have that same like camaraderie that a lot of his movies have, I think. That's a good point. Where both this and Grand Budapest, like they are filmed in just like this, they want, they found this like little town and they filmed everything there and they all stayed together in a hotel. And I think that's hard to recreate in a stop motion movie where you're just recording your dialogue in a booth, even if you're together in a booth, like it's just like a different vibe. And in this movie, you can really feel like everyone just like, vibing and having a great time yeah i'm i'll be excited when this gets a criterion release and we get like a good commentary on it because i feel like the grand budapest commentary was so funny because like literally the whole time they barely even (laughs) talked about the movie they're just like oh yeah like we're hanging out here oh remember when we went to that bar oh yeah remember when we got drinks here oh yeah and remember when we found this location like it just is like yeah I'll be excited to hear about this movie because I feel like it would be similar. Um, but yeah, yeah I, agree. I I think that this movie, like, it's not my favorite uh, Wes Anderson, but I do think um, mm-hmm. it feels a little more, like, it feels very different, but it also feels mm. a little bit more like his style, but with new material. Mm. Like, uh, like it feels like we're yeah. in a new segment of his career, but it also feels like Wes Anderson more. Whereas like Isle mm. of Dogs, I think is just this like anomaly of like, does this really feel like Wes Anderson? But I think that like this one captures the heart of um the characters, but also like progresses into whatever kind of new style he is writing in. Yeah, Isle of Dogs feels like someone trying to be Wes Anderson. Uh-huh. But Francis Patch <laughs> actually feels like Wes Anderson. Um, I was saying this to you too yesterday. It's like definitely too... I've seen it a few times now, and every time it's kind of like I've liked it more, I think. Mm. And it has a feeling that his other movies don't have, where we've talked a lot about his other movies can feel very depressing, I think, or they're like yeah. a lot darker. This one, I think, is the first one where it feels just like there's obviously like sad elements, but I think it just every time I watch it at the end of the movie, I just feel like happy. Like it just is like a great. It's just a really light 
movie and I think his most straightforward comedy. And so I just like I enjoy watching it a lot. I love watching it and I love the way that it is bookended by like the two little things that like kind of frame the story at the beginning and then it kind of brings it back around at the end. And I just love the way it makes me feel. It's just really nice. But I do think there are like some cool things in it about like writing and preservation. And like there's some interesting things that he's trying to talk about. But it is his most, I think, just light movie too, which is a good change of pace from like Royal Tenenbaums, which is obviously has fun elements, but is very dark at the same time. Yeah, I mean, we talked about in the beginning of his career how it feels so happy on the outside. Like, when you look at it, Mm. you're like, wow, the nice colors, the fun costumes, like, these funny caricatures. And then once you, like, get a little deeper, you're like, ooh, boy, like, this Mm. is very dark. And I think this has elements of that. Like, it kind of... I, I, I agree. I don't think it goes as dark as, like, Tenenbaums, but I do think he's learned to balance that mm. better, which I think just shows, like, his growth as a person. Like, yeah, he's, like, he's probably an he's adult more well-adjusted at this point because he's <laughs> and, a lot older. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, he seems like he's vibing, but I also think, like, it shows how you can include these types of things in your art without it like going too dark like you can Mm -hmm. still have these elements but still have it be a fun movie which is very interesting like i do think he's really learned how to balance all the different things in a movie Mm -hmm. um which is cool but uh, yeah i think that this one it's very interesting because you have three different stories and i'm like going through them in my head and i do think that like they're all so different, but they all are so similar. So it's just interesting mm-hmm. to see how his writing is so cohesive. And like, mm-hmm. I think this one is a lot more clear about what he's trying to say, or like it's more mm-hmm. fully re- like a realized vision. Yeah, I think it it makes it interesting to think about, like you said, because you can try to compare the three stories, but they're also separate. Um, and you can think of them in the framing device where it's like, oh, it's just like we're watching a visual magazine issue, I guess. But it's also like you can think of the Bill Murray character as like a Wes Anderson character where he's bringing all these people together and he's just like letting them work, which I guess is like what at this point, what it seems like Wes Anderson loves to do is just like bring a bunch of actors and people together. And like I said, he loves the framing devices of like story within the story and like the relation of the author to like the work. And I said this in my review, it definitely feels a little bit more like his first time he's kind of reflected on his own career more with him as like that lead figure and like putting everything together in the background, putting the articles together, like in the early scenes. And I'm interested to see if that carries through to his next movies, kind of like you were saying with Isle of Dogs and everything and the political stuff. Like, I'm interested to see if he continues to be more introspective on himself, like more openly, because obviously every movie is going to have aspects of him interrogating himself. But this one feels very clearly like him interrogating his own career at some points and reflecting on his older movies, like with the last story and the whole immigrant thing, like subplot, which I think is definitely the best scene in the movie, I think, with the one where it's like with him and the chef 
when the chef is like not on his deathbed because he doesn't die, but like he's on a bed. Um, and that just I don't know. It just it feels like there's a lot of parts where he's reflecting on his older movies and stuff that he has done in his movies and like who he is now. It's very interesting. But like I said, it's also just a fun movie. And there's a lot of funny, subtle jokes that are going on all the time. Yeah, and I think this one, just in terms of like technical skill, it you can tell how he's used things from other movies that he's made, like specific elements that he brought into this one, which I think is cool. Mm-hmm. And something you may not notice as much if you don't like watch all his movies back to back. Um, I do think obviously it feels most similarly to Budapest's uh, style. So it'll be interesting too to see if like mm-hmm. he leans into that style going forward too, like technically. But I think that like yeah. he also employs a lot of things in it that feel different and fresh compared to like his other films. Like mm-hmm. he uses kind of the split screen type um in some of the scenes like in the establishing and i feel like that feels a little more fresh he uses that like weird animation sequence uh in Mm -hmm. the story with the cook and like i think it's cool that even after refining his craft he's still finding ways to include new elements and like new ways to tell the story so even though like it still feels exactly like Wes Anderson. It's like, ooh, it's fresh. Like, there's some things going on here with the black and white and, like, the way the lighting shifts yeah. and the way, like, this changes. Like, I just think that it's really, like, I'm not bored of him. Whereas there's other directors or writers or whatever that they have a lot of movies and then they kind of just get stuck in the status quo and you watch their movies and you're like, mm, mm. like, I just feel kind of bored of this person. But I don't think that any of his movies would bore me at this point, like any of his new yeah. movies. Like, I just feel like he's constantly trying to not fall into a status quo. He's trying to do what he does, but then he's still trying to, like, embrace new aspects of, like, creating. Yeah, I feel like every movie he does get, he, like, gives himself a new challenge. So Grand Budapest, the aspect ratio is like a new thing because he'd always mostly shot in like a wider aspect ratio, but then like having to do the four by three or I love dogs, like taking out a lot of the color, which I think then the color thing goes to dispatch because basically all of the main stories besides like little segments that they do use it for specific purposes are in black and white. And so having to like get his aesthetic across without color I think it's something he's done in both Isle of Dogs and yeah. French Dispatch, like figuring out ways to do that without like relying on a really yellow color palette, basically. Or even in this one, like the way he kind of brings things where you said the animation sequence, I was noticing in Isle of Dogs, they use animation spe- in specific sequences. I think it's um, the main one I'm remembering is like the video camera footage when they're recording their fight, the drone is recording them. That animation style is the same animation style that they use in French Dispatch. So it's like you can see them like through the movies trying out different ideas and integrating different things to make each movie feel like fresh. And again, French Dispatch then uses aspect ratio stuff just like in Grand Budapest. So like you said, I think he's done a very good job at making his movies continually invent upon themselves and also probably like just making himself not bored with his work because like he's constantly finding new ways to do things 
And I think I saw recently one person was like, that animation sequence in French Dispatch was so stupid because it was obviously just a way to get the budget down. I'm like, well, maybe it was, but it was also really cool. So I don't know what your point is. I also think like a car chase would not fit his aesthetic. Just in general, like if he's doing a car chase... Like, you're not watching a car chase and thinking, wow, that's so Wes Anderson. Yeah, well, we've seen that, like, Life Aquatic, like, that stuff doesn't fit as much, like, the action. And so maybe he's trying to find ways where it's, like, it works more. Yeah, like, a way to do action that fits with Wes Anderson. Like, you Mm -hmm. can't expect every director to, like, do a Batman-level car chase sequence. Like, it just doesn't make sense. So, like, whether or not it is to lower the budget... I don't think it matters because it just needs to be his style. Like, I don't really care what he does as long as it's like him actually creating something unique instead of being like, hmm, guess we got to do a car chase. And he also, it works with the framing because I think he says like the car chase was then rendered as a cartoon in the newspaper the next week. So it's like that's it's supposed to be like a representation of the cartoon that was in the newspaper along with the story. And so it's like just another way of them using like the story within the story author artist framing that the whole movie is based upon. So whoever made that tweet is I'm sorry, but you were wrong. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think this movie I'm a lot more excited for the future of his career than I was after Isle of Dogs, just because Isle of Dogs is just really hard to like, it's hard to frame that movie in his career and see like, what is he thinking next? And so now that I've, after I saw this movie, and then I've seen it a couple of times since then, I am a lot more confident in like his career moving forward than I was. Because I mean, he had Grand Budapest, which is a big hit. And then Isle of Dogs was like a big change. And so after that, you don't know, is he going to continue maybe doing stuff like his older movies? Or is he going to continue maybe trying to reinvent himself like crazily every time? Which I think he's definitely found a good balance with this one. And hopefully moving forward is like still keeping stuff that makes his style his style while finding ways to like change it up and keep it fresh mm-hmm. within that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I mean, we got some movies coming up. Asteroid City supposedly is coming out next year uh supposedly a poetic meditation on the meaning of life wow i could see that it feels like that's what he's coming to like (laughs) yeah and i think with french dispatch like you said it does have the political stuff but i do think it's the best of the three his last three movies because he has the most i think it integrates the most like human aspects as well with the politics and it really grounds it in the characters. And so I think this can be like, maybe maybe this will be like a full realization of like just his manifesto on what life means. I don't know. And apparently the ensemble is really big. And I mean, it is like, it's a huge cast. I am really excited for this movie. I know like you have here like, Steve Carell replaced Bill Murray, which is wild. Well, Steve Carell in, in general is like a it, that is a very exciting addition. <laughs> well, trying I will say. Uh, trying to place him in a Wes Anderson world too is like very funny to me. Like yeah. I try, I just I can't do I like it doesn't work in my brain. <laughs> so I'm really excited to see how it works. And like obviously, it's a bummer that Bill Murray's not in it. Maybe I mean I think he's kind of like 
a not great person, but at the same time, he feels like I mean, I'm Wes pretty Anderson. sure he'll be in the next one too. And I think Steve Carell, it's a good ch- another challenge maybe trying to like integrate someone like Steve Carell into his movie naturally. I'm just trying to think of him watching The Office, like Wes Anderson watching The Office. I just don't do you think that he likes The Office? Is he or Um I think I I definitely think he's more of like an arrested development guy. Yeah, I don't think he likes The Office. I feel like he probably never even watched The Office and but saw Steve Carell in like Beautiful Boy or um what is something else he's been in? Maybe Wes Anderson is a morning show fan. (laughs) (laughs) He probably watched that one movie that Steve Carell did when he was like a toy soldier. Oh. That no um, one else saw. Oh, gosh. What was it called? Marwin. Marwin. Welcome to Marwin. Yeah. He probably saw that and was like, this is the guy. (laughs) Um, Or he saw um, Evan Almighty. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I do feel like Steve Carell is someone I'm, his career is so interesting to me recently. So it'll be really interesting to see him in this movie. I just think overall, I am excited for Henry Sugar, but I think I'm a little more excited for this one. Like this one feels more up my alley. Yeah, like a Wes Anderson movie. Henry Sugar, I've been reading the book. I haven't finished it, but I read most of it. It's like seven short stories. So I think I've read like five of them. And I've read the Henry Sugar like main story. So I've made sure to read that one before this. Um. And I think the book, the movie is not going to be like just like seven short stories like in a row. He's going to, I think, adapt it quite a bit and make Henry Sugar like the connective thread through three different stories, which I don't in the book. I don't think he's in any story but the one. So I think it's going to be very different. But from reading it, I mean, it definitely fits with what he likes. Like it's very story within a story, like author telling a story, but sometimes the author's in the story um like like he likes to do with his narrators he's mentioned that this and fantastic mr fox were like two of his favorite books when he was a kid and he even mentioned that henry sugar like in an interview that i that he did about grand budapest that it's a lot like the writings that grand budapest was based on Mm. with the story within a story stuff so it's very much like stuff that he already enjoys so that's what i'm excited to see it but again, it's like, I mean, in Asteroid City, just closer and we know more about it. So it's just like, I'm obviously more excited for that one, but I'm excited for both. I think yeah, they will both be interesting contributions because Asteroid City seems to be more of like, obviously like an adult movie, I guess. But then Henry Sugar going back to more of like the PG, PG-13 kids movie stuff, like which seems to be like since Mr. Fox, he's kind of gone back and forth with like adult oriented movies, but then more like kid teen which i think is cool i like the the versatility in that i'm excited for next year i wish it was coming out this year because i know it was, <laughs> it was supposed it to. was supposed to but i don't i never really believed it like yeah. i hoped but it's done so like just put it on disney plus oh, no, yeah I think, though, like, it'll be good to be next year in a way because I feel like this year's movie landscape is already, like, kind of oversaturated. So I Mm. just feel like next year we can, like, Mm. start fresh and then have Wes Anderson. Um, I do think it's funny that, like, knowing Roald Dahl's work, it makes so much sense when you're like, oh, yeah, Wes Anderson's, like, 
favorite author as a kid and was like most influenced mm. by Roald Dahl's work. It's like that tells you everything you need that was to know. Also, about my him. favorite author as a kid. I feel like all great, awesome people liked Roald Dahl as a kid. I think yeah. is the real <laughs> wow thing that we yeah, can. You take and this. me and Wes Anderson are all um, <laughs> on the same page yeah. here. <laughs> the only three people same that level. liked Roald Dahl. Um, yes, that's so funny. Uh, yeah. So, do we want to get into our? Final rankings Final and rankings. wrap up thoughts. Like, yeah, I I moved some stuff around. That this, uh, not totally, but this is a little different than what I had before going into this. Yeah, let me bring up my old list and see. I I think it's marginally different for me. I I deleted my old list, but I remember it. Like I've, it's all everything's in the basic same tiers. I would think there's one that's pretty different, but it's all basically around the same. But I I moved a couple things around. I'll just go, we'll go like 10 through 6, 5 through 1. So my 10 through 6 at the bottom is Darjeeling Limited. Um, just, yeah, overall my least favorite one to watch. I Love Dogs, then Bottle Rocket. And then there's like, those are all three stars. So I would say that's like one tier. And then the next tier would be, this was hard because I had these originally swapped, but I think I like this. I have At 7, I have Life Aquatic. And then at 6, I have French Dispatch because I think Life Aquatic is... Also, like, they're both four stars. They're both really good. But I think Life Aquatic feels similar to, like, Tenenbaums and Rushmore. And I just like those more, where French Dispatch is, like, something a little bit newer. After watching this third time, I was like, man, this is just a really, like, good, solid movie. And so that's my 10 through 6. Great. So mine is a little bit different. Uh, So I have Bottle Rocket at 10. I that's like probably like a two star movie for me, two and a half star. Damn. And wow, then it's just like vibes. No, it's, it's only not vibes. a vibe for me. Um I then nine I have Darjeeling, eight I have Rushmore, and seven I have Isle of Dogs. You have Isle of Dogs over Rushmore? I that's don't like rough. Rushmore. That's a little I that but that wow. Okay. That's that's a little insulting. What's number six, though? Uh, number six is French Dispatch. Wow, we have French Dispatch at six. But like I said, did. like seven through nine, I went back and forth multiple times on like where to put mm-hmm. those movies because they're all three star movies for me. So like I like them all for t- they're just so different and I like different parts of all of them that I kind of mm-hmm. just threw them in there. Like, so I feel like all those yeah. could be interchangeable. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we have four of the same five. So my number five is Royal Tenenbaums. And then I have Grand Budapest. Then I have Rushmore. Then Fantastic Mr. Fox. And then finally at number one is Moonrise Kingdom. Wow. Um, so I have Royal Tenenbaums at five. All right. I have Life Aquatic at four. I have Grand Budapest at three. Moonrise at two. And Fantastic Mr. Fox at one. Mm. So like I said, four of our five top five are pretty much the same. And I think it's like maybe not Tenenbaums because I think that is pretty solid at five. But like those top four are all like just really good movies, like kind of like your bottom. Like it's hard for me sometimes to like organize those, I would say. But I feel pretty solid about this list. And I'm hoping Asteroid City will be at least like like a five or a four. That's like my real like high hope right now. <laughs> what if it ends up being your favorite or like the worst movie ever? That it's w- worse than Dar if it's worse than Dar's Dealing Limited, I might like cry. I feel that like that's really not rough. possible. I feel like he's too refined at this point to make something that 
like worse than that. Yeah. I think it has to at least be at like six or seven. Like it can't be Bottle Rocket, Isle of Dogs, Darjeeling Limited. I feel like it can't be lower than four stars. Like I just, it's impossible (laughs) in my- (laughs) We're really pushing, we're really getting high hopes for this. But it's just like everything I've read about it and the synopsis, like it feels so Wes Anderson that I could die. Like I just feel like- it it's impossible in my mind that it would mm. be less than four stars. Like I mm. just, I'm so convinced that this is gonna be like the greatest movie of next year that I'm like, wow, yeah. I I don't know. I just think, well, and he's going back to America after three movies, which is I think pretty significant. Yeah. Uh. I just. Oh gosh, it's gonna be so good. But yeah, I think for me, like my top three. I love all three of those movies specifically mm-hmm. like um Life Aquatic is is four stars and then everything else is four and a half or above like the top 3 and mm-hmm. so I go back and forth on different days you know yeah. like I'll love Fox and then like one day I'm like mm, maybe Moonrise is my number 1 and then I'm like wait but I maybe I like Grand Budapest a little more yeah. so just Well it, it's it's like I'll I probably maybe would have like a slightly different ranking at the top if I watched them again you know and I think that's what I learned over the course of this kind of like okay with Star Wars I learned I didn't like Star Wars as much as I thought um even though I didn't think I liked it very much And with this one, I learned, I think I like his movies more than I thought, even though I already thought that I really liked them. You know, I got less tired of his movies as this went on, whereas with Star Wars, I got more tired. Yeah, Star Wars was, getting to the end of the Star Wars episodes was like very difficult and draining. But I feel like with this, like every month I felt refreshed. Like, (laughs) I just felt like it was something new because his... His filmography is so distinct in phases, mm. which, like, I never had really considered before, but I think watching them all through, it was clear that it was, like, pretty distinct in the way that, like, he created the movies. And so I just felt like every month I was getting a new stepping stone in his career. Yeah. So it's just like, wow, right. I'm just adding on to all this knowledge I already have. And, like, Wes Anderson has always been one of my favorite directors. Like, I've gone back and forth between him and Miyazaki for, like, my number one. And then I also love Melville. So it's Mm. hard to, like, I don't know. But I I think I've rated more Miyazaki movies higher than I have Wes Anderson movies. So I'm like, I don't know. They're so different. They are. Well, I mean, but he loves both of those directors. But they're so similar. So I don't know. It does make sense. But I do think that, like... I mean, it just solidifies him more. Like, he's always been mm-hmm. a favorite of mine. But now I'm like, man, like, I really... Watching it through like that and going, like, deeper into it, I'm like, wow. Yeah. I love this guy. And we are all prepped for Asteroid City now. We, we've we done the homework. <laughs> We're going to go into the theater having done more homework than anyone else. We're kind of like... It's kind of like when people prep for, like, the newest Marvel movie. Like, we're at Endgame. Like, we've done the work. The question is, will we watch all of these again before Asteroid City comes out? I I, I probably not, like, I'm not going to do, like, the whole in an order thing. But maybe, I maybe even just, like, not specifically. Like, I probably will have watched a couple since then, you know. 
there's a couple in here that I like. Like Mr. Fox is someone that like I'll just throw on. Sometimes. I'll probably watch that again, like literally within the next few weeks because it's fall. I just watched it again, <laughs> like last two weeks ago. So yeah, it is. There's just some of these movies where they're just like really fun. They're to just so keep, rewatchable. To just yes. Thank you, Wes Anderson. <laughs> Thank for, you for making movies. <laughs> wow. Um, I think we've been circling this question for four episodes, so I think we should finally ask for our question of the week. What is your favorite Wes Anderson movie? <gasps> oh, man, that's a good one. I'm here for it. I Because I think it's uh, one thing that's so nice about his films is I feel like because they are so consistent, but they vary so much, anyone could have a different favorite. Like, just looking yeah. at his filmography... It's like, wow, anyone could have any of these movies as their favorite or what they well, consider most the best of them. one. Well, there there's could be people a couple, who like a couple, maybe the other not. ones. But like for us, I mean, we think those movies yeah, are not as good. Yeah. But I do think like there are people who could champion those movies. So it'll be interesting to see. I think there are specific ones that are people just say are better. Or like more, and I think those are some of the mm-hmm. ones that we have. But said. like Martin Scorsese loves Bottle Rocket. You know, if Martin Scorsese's listening, write in. Let us know <laughs> what your favorite one is now that ten have come out. Let us know. I'm ex. I think that's a great question, and I'm excited. I think. Well, I I don't want to say what I think most people will say because I don't want to sway anyone. Mm. But I have what I think most people will say, and we'll see if I'm right. Great. Um, you can answer that question on our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, on Spotify. There's a feature where you can answer it on our website. So many places. Everything is in the show notes. Go check it out and let us know what your favorite Wes Anderson movie is, which we will then answer in our next mm. episode, which is our final third and final <laughs> end of end summer, of summer episode. episode. <laughs> Yeah, so we'll be talking about just kind of recapping what we watched this summer. Well, what do you do if we just talked about Wes Anderson movies like the like, whole time? Like, yeah, so I wa- I watched Bottle Rocket in like June. Uh, yeah, um, and then we'll be like talking about some new exciting things we have coming up around the bend, mm-hmm. um, for the remainder of the year, and some yeah. fun things going on in October. So we just will be sharing all that next week next yeah good Tuesday. house cleaning some cool announcements talking about what we watched this summer just whatever we want basically that's what the episode is going to be called whatever we feel like um yeah i'm excited to share everything with everyone listening uh but until then i don't really have anything else you know i don't either i don't think i i, I don't think i have talked about any other director more than we've talked about wes anderson now <laughs> That was a lot of Wes Anderson discussion. I know all my letterbox stats are like ruined for this year. I mean, not ruined because like, obviously I'm fine with it, but it's just like, it's just funny because like whenever we do something like this, it like dominates our stats because we like did this. It happens. That's the sacrifice we make. We mess up the letterbox stats for the sake of the listeners. So tune in next year when we do the summer of Twilight. <laughs> hey, maybe it happen. maybe not. It's, you know, it's in the idea bank. That, I think it would be pretty fun. Let us know if you would want summer of Twilight. I yeah, think that'd be really or fun. or maybe like summer of Lord of the Rings. 
summer of, that'd be a lot harder that would be a lot harder very intense i am just yeah, thinking also about like would we have to do the hobbit movies i don't know yeah just rings of power um so let us know if you have something that you think we should do next summer it's a long ways off but we'll plan ahead mm. yeah that's also a good thing i would love to know um well thank you all for listening and until next time i'm noah and I'm Kayla. And, and we're, we're your, your second hand film, film critic. critic.